I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. Um, some of you, the, the sharper tacks out there listening may have noticed that uh, in the month of June, when there was supposed to be an episode of How Story Works, there was no episode of How Story Works. Uh, there are reasons for that. I'm about to explain everything in detail. But first, welcome to How Story Works. Really glad to have you here. Thank you so much for listening. Um, okay, so so this is what's going on. Uh, y'all have heard me talk about how I am both teaching and participating in the Year of Writing Magically 2023 workshop, uh, which has been amazing. I came up with this idea at the end of 2022 and realized that this was the workshop that I most wanted to take. One that really focused on uh, the process, on community, on honoring your own process, the way that everything works for you as a writer. And, um, and I have to say, like, I thought in the moment that I did it, that it was a good idea, um, and have discovered that it was a great freaking idea. Like it, this workshop has been amazing this year. I am so enjoying it. Uh, the class is going great. Everybody's enthusiastic. People are getting their work done. It has been incredible. But part of what's happening in this workshop for me is that I am refamiliarizing myself with the ways in which I work, which of course have changed some, but in other ways haven't. Um, and so here I am in the drafting process. And what I had forgotten about drafting is that I go deep, deep into the book and am literally useless for anything else. Anything else that I'm doing during that time, I will do wrong. I will screw it up. I will break it. It's just I'm unable to focus. So um, so now here I was in this drafting process. Right. And I knew that I was moving at the end of June. Um, but what I wasn't anticipating, like I knew it was going to be a, a challenge to do both at once because moving requires um, like an organizational mind. And I am for whatever it's worth, the organizational mind of my household. So everybody's kind of relying on me to put everything together and make everything happen. Or the other alternative interpretation of that is that everybody is is understanding that I will take that over and organize everything. And so it's really pointless to get involved. Uh, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But um, so I got to this point where I needed to start organizing the move for the end of June and just found that I was unable to do both things at the same time. Um, so here's the thing, like when I draft, I go into the book and I have discovered it works kind of for me, like diving, like deep sea divers, you go down slowly because the pressure is different and you're in this other space. It's this other world. It's this other universe. And if you come back up out of it too quickly, um, you'll die now. Okay. I understand that I am using this metaphor without having any understanding of diving. The deepest I've ever gone in water is like six feet. So please understand that that is the actual experiential perspective that I'm coming from. But my understanding is that if you come back up from a deep sea dive too fast, you will get what they call the bends, which has something to do with nitrogen and muscles. I don't know. I think you can die from it. So anyway, the point is, is that like for the for the purpose of this metaphor, I was deep sea diving into my book and then I had to come back up and it took me three days, three three days for me to come out of this book and be able to function in the world as a human person does. So once those three days were done, I was like, okay, I've gotten the stuff that I need to do, you know, three, four weeks before the move done. But if I go back into the book, I won't be out of it in time to be able to function and do everything else. So I just had to come out of the book entirely, not draft at all during the past month when I've been organizing and figuring out all of the stuff that we were going to do for this move. So now at the end of June, we moved. So it's been like 10 days, right? And here I am. 
and I'm, I'm, you know, coming back from the move and I was able to do that and we got everything done. We got moved in. The apartment is wonderful. Absolutely love it. Everything's great. Um, but I'm also doing another thing for the move this week. I'm doing a short trip, uh, which also needs organization, which also needs my focus. So I've been unable to really go back into the book. I've been kind of doing some reading, um, of the old materials that I can refresh myself and sort of get ready to get back into that space. Um, but it has been kind of a big hot mess. So part of that big hot mess has been that I've been focusing on the move. I haven't been able to write the book. And when the date came, I did my interview with Brandon Says, who I will talk about in just a minute. It's going to be a really, really great interview uh, this week. Um, but I, I did my interview in time uh, but just absolutely could not get the time together to record this intro and to record the outro and to do all this stuff and have all this discussion. So I just had to skip a month on how story works. Um, and then, you know, I've got the other podcasts, which are also on hiatus. Um, I've got my dear writer Substack letter, which is also on hiatus right now. And, um, and I have to say all of these things, have gotten me um, into a moment where I am uh, kind of acknowledging how different I am from how I used to be. How I used to be, old school Lonnie, would have left nothing on hiatus, would have worked until she was exhausted. Um, and then when the move was over, would have crashed, which was the thing that I do when I push myself too hard. I crash really hard afterward and I have three or four days where I cannot get out of bed. Like I am so exhausted. I'm so tired. I just cannot function. Um, and this time I decided that I was going to look at everything I had to do like a reasonable human being and do what I could and make all of that work. And I did not kill myself and also found that I didn't need so much crash. I had like, you know, a couple of afternoons where I played some Dragon Age, you know, like, and that was like my, my, you know, thing, but I was still able to function and get stuff done. Um, so like emotionally unhealthy Lonnie, which is, you know, how I refer to old school Lonnie, that's what old school Lonnie is, um, would have thought, um, I have to get all of this stuff done. I have to completely, you know, meet all of these expectations for anybody who might have expectations of me and just exhaust myself. And I, I haven't done that. And, um, part of me really struggled with not doing things that way, really struggled with putting things on hiatus. Um, I mean, the nice thing about putting in the gutter on hiatus and endless on hiatus is that both Elisa, my, my Elisa and Joshua are both taking the year of writing magically workshop with me. Um, so they are writing novels as well. And, uh, they were both like, yeah, no, I am not doing this during this time. And so, uh, so that wasn't really as much of an option for me, but I think I would have chosen to put them on hiatus anyway. I really would like to believe that I would. Um, but now the Chippers podcasts are on hiatus. Uh, the Dear Writer Substack letter is on hiatus. Um, I've moved and I still can't quite get into this book. And then I've got to finish up that drafting and still teach the uh, the Year of Writing Magically um, workshop uh, as we move out of the drafting phase and into talking about uh, revision one and revision two. Um, and so I've got all of that stuff ready to go, but I'm not pushing myself the way that I used to. And um, and I freaked out like part of me freaked out the last uh, week or so. I've been having nightmares every single night, like stress mirrors every single night. And I'm going to share one of them with you. Uh, one of them was that I had lost all of my technology, my laptop, my iPad, my iPhone were all just gone. They were, they were just missing and I couldn't find them. And I was so stressed out. Now you, for you, that may not sound like such a big thing. Anybody who knows me and knows how I am about my technology, I am I, like, I am with technology. Like I am with children. Like I'm very protective and I make sure that it's okay at all times. Um, technology is what allows me to do all the things that I, that I need to do. And I am just a very, very like tech focused girl. So when I woke up in the morning and I told my husband, oh my God, I had this nightmare about the technology. He was like, wow, that is that is really serious. And then I had like a, a, a terrible nightmare like the next day. And I realized that what was happening is that I, I had done all this work to become more healthy and to treat myself better and to not push myself as hard as I usually and traditionally have. 
And then there was this, like the part of me that um, has always functioned this way um, was trying to keep me safe um, and didn't realize that I didn't need those, those really destructive tactics in order to be safe anymore. Um, so I did the blindfold journal. And I think that um, if you've been listening to any of my podcasts, you've probably heard this, but just in case you haven't, um, the blindfold journal is where you put a blindfold on, um, you know, and you listen to like uh, rain sounds or white noise or something. And then you sit with your hands on your computer. This works with um, touch typing because you can't look right. You've got to like shut down your your all of your sensory inputs or, or you know, as much as you can and then just touch type um, into, I use Evernote, you know, into a page or whatever. And, uh, and just answer the question, how am I feeling? What am I feeling? And process your emotions that way. And I have to say it is effective in the way that therapy is effective. Um, I have found that when I am kind of all wound up really super tight, when I'm having nightmares, when I'm feeling stressed out all the time, if I sit down and I do 25 minutes of blindfold journaling, um, it it basically addresses the whole thing. So I did a blindfold journal in which I wrote directly to this inner child, uh, this traumatized inner child that believes that I can only exist in the world if I am absolutely destroying myself into exhaustion um, and doing everything all the time and never taking a break. Um, and so I sat down with my inner child and I was like, Hey baby, I don't need this. This is not keeping me safe. Um, this is not keeping us safe. Um, and I appreciate that this comes from your lived experience, but we have grown beyond that. We don't need it anymore. And then last night I slept wonderfully, no nightmares. I am telling you right now, my husband is the one who made this up, um, who figured this out. And, uh, and I am forever grateful. Um, I never want to do it, but when I do, it's incredibly valuable. So hopefully, uh, that is a strategy that you might find will help you as well. I have never come across anything that has been that good. Um, so yeah, so right now, basically, um, I've got the year of writing magically workshop and that is my whole life at the moment. And it's been really wonderful. Um, I am absolutely loving the whole experience, having all of these incredible people. It's a tight knit group of like 20 people um, and we're all working together and bonding and drafting and um, and just taking all of this process and everything. And everybody is is, you know, using what works for them and creating their own process for doing it. One of the things that I have discovered is that I gave everybody like two months for drafting. We were going to finish on July 8th. And then we were all like, nope, 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 can't be done by July. So we're extending that to the 22nd. And then I'm shifting around some of my lessons for, for later on in the year as we go through the revision process, two revision processes. Um, and, uh, and it's just been like so incredible and I, I absolutely love it. So I have to tell you that if you are interested in, um, in being the first to know when the year of writing magically applications open for 2024, um, you can go to year of and then just, um, go to the, there's a little link there that says sign up for the mailing list. You will not receive any email on this mailing list until you'll receive one email, exactly one email, and it will be the applications are open. Here's the link. Um, and that's it. But, uh, but it has been such an incredible experience and I'm, I'm really excited because like one or two of the students who are taking it this year want to take it again with me next year. Um, so like that is how awesome this class is. If you have a novel or a long form fiction project that you want to write, um, I can't recommend it enough. And I know it's my workshop and all of that, but I'm just telling you, it is amazing. And I've been absolutely loving it. And, and at some point I'm going to, uh, as we get further on into the workshop and sort of towards the end, I may ask uh, one of the students to come on here and talk about the experience as well so that you guys can kind of get a sense of, of how it works through the, the perspective of the person who is not teaching it. Um, the other thing I've been trying to do is deal with this whole social media 
on fire landscape, right? Uh, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with social media and congratulations, if that is the case, um, Elon Musk bought Twitter and lit it on fire. And so all the people who have been on Twitter have been kind of looking for a Twitter replacement. And there are a lot of them out there. There's there's Post, there's Mastodon, uh, Blue Sky I've been playing with a little bit. I think that may be the one where I end up. But I, I kind of think that the days of the, you know, like one social media media space to rule them all are just done. I don't think that like everybody, you know, in the beginning, everybody was on Facebook and everybody was on Twitter. Um, everybody was on Instagram. And now I feel like we are, um, it's sort of splintering off and people are going to pick their favorite Twitter alternative. Um, but you know, like I've spent the last, you know, so many years, like building up this Twitter following that is completely useless to me now. Um, because Twitter has become such a hot mess. I mean, just lit on fire. So, um, so right now I'm grabbing my namespace everywhere. So whichever one you are in, like you can follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich, wherever that is, you know, you'll, you'll find me there. Um, but, uh, but mostly I think that I'm, I'm just going to be at, uh, Dear Writer, which is my newsletter, dearwriter.substack.com. I feel like that is the space where the people who want to hear from me can hear from me. I'm writing essays there every week. It has been really fun writing nonfiction, really fun writing essays. I've been playing around with the format a little bit. Um, right now it's basically, uh, donation based. So like, I don't have, um, exclusivity for like exclusive material and content for paid subscribers. Although I may do that in the future right now, that's not the case, but definitely go. If you want to hear from me, sign up, um, at dear writer that has been coming out every week, except for the last couple of weeks. So the newsletter is coming out every, it's a, it's a little essay from me, uh, often writing related, but also sometimes just life related. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and I'm having fun playing with the format. I'm going to be doing a, a bunch of interesting things. I think, um, as I get out of the drafting and I'm actually capable of doing other things, but now that we've got all of that covered, um, I want to talk about today's guest. My guest today is a friend of mine. I've known him for a real long time. Absolutely delightful guy, um, podcaster and writer, Brendan says, um, and he recently discovered that he has ADHD, um, and has kind of been working with his creative process as a writer, um, and finding ways to make writing and creativity work for him with ADHD. And I thought that was such an interesting conversation to have. So I thought it'd be really fun to sit down and talk with him about that. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit more about Brandon. Uh, Brandon says is the co-host of Moo Point, a friend's podcast, and is a writer living in Southeast Alaska. His writing inspiration lately has been about his experiences living with undiagnosed ADHD until he was 42 and how that has affected his relationships, habits, and happiness. Uh, lately, he loves writing short fiction and poetry and drawing silly cartoons inspired by his day job at the front desk of a small dental practice. You can find his Substack newsletter containing images, essays, and poetry at Brandon Says, that's S-A-I-Z, at Substack.com. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Brandon. Brandon, oh my God, it is so good to see you. Yeah. It has been such a long time since we've had a chat. It has been a long time, yes. I think since the last time I was on your friend's podcast, A yes. Moo Point, which uh, is one of my favorite jokes from Friends. And so I loved it when you and Jazzy pulled that in, your co-host Jazzy uh, pulled that into the uh, the title of the podcast. That was awesome. Yeah, I feel like that podcast is the last time I recorded anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so a few things like how long have we known each other? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I, I came across your work... Um, Oh, you know, I can't even guess, but like sometime maybe a year or a year and a half before we decided to to start our podcast. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And and you I I quote you as one of the inspirations for even like considering the medium. Um, you've been in my earballs oh. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you're also like it. Um, yeah, I absolutely think everybody who wants to do a podcast should do a podcast and that anybody who wants to do anything creative should do it. So like I am the creative enabler, like people come to me a lot and they're like, do you think I should do a podcast? Should I do? And I'm like, yes, 
Absolutely, you should. So I'm yeah. really, really glad that you did because your friend's podcast was a, a favorite of mine um, when it was running. But you guys finished. You did all the episodes. Yeah, I uh, I also think that's the last time I finished anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's not entirely true, but like I I really do uh, I admire anyone that that podcasts and sticks to it. It is it's so much work, and it's um, yeah. And it, it, it's even more than the work. It's like the, the, the commitment to like even set up the, the microphone or to hit record. Like it takes an emotional toll, I think, preparing to even doing it, uh, do it because it's, it is, there's so much that goes along with like sounding as good as you can and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and putting out content that's interesting and thinking about the content before it goes out. And, uh, yeah, like, like any creative medium, I think it's just, it's a ton of work. Well, there's a lot of friction, you know, like one of the things, uh, the concepts that, um, in recent years has finally come to me that I've, I've recognized is this idea of friction, Um, like when you want to do anything, when you have a habit that you want to start, like the idea of getting up and exercising every day, like there is friction when you're in bed, you're like, Oh, I have to get up. I have to put my shoes on. I have to put my workout gear on. I have to do all this stuff. And then I have to go and da da da. And, um, and it's like, it's not even doing the thing itself. It is the, the prep and commitment necessary to do the thing that will often stop us from doing the thing because it's a lot. And so like looking at things in, in a way that minimizes the friction to doing the thing, I think has been a really successful, um, kind of concept for me. And I actually got that from a, um, from an ADHD YouTuber. Um, I think it's called how to ADHD and God help me. I can't remember the woman's name. She is delightful. I have her Um, t-shirts. I'm I'm familiar. Oh, she's wonderful. What's her name? Do you know her name? I also do. I just know her as that channel. I, I will. Okay. Let me go look it up. All right. So I just looked it up. Uh, on on the internets and discover that it's Jessica McCabe who does the how to ADHD. And I haven't been diagnosed with ADHD. I think that like um, I don't have like distraction disorder to the point where it interrupts my ability to to kind of get some stuff done, you know. Um, but I do like um, I think. Uh, empathize with some of that experience because uh because like life is extremely distracting and so i think to a certain degree we are all overloaded we are all distracted we all have trouble kind of getting started in a lot of things and i think that that like i mean my husband has 80 without the h is add so i've been learning a lot about it like through him and identifying with a lot of those um experiences even though like i'm not like i don't think i have the actual disorder. Um, but what I'm really interested in, like we were kind of chatting a little bit uh, via email and you were talking about how you'd been diagnosed with ADHD and how that kind of affected your experience as a writer. Um, yeah. So I'm really interested in talking about that. I think the the most fascinating part with me is that like I, I was diagnosed late. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember how old I am now. I believe I was 42 when I got diagnosed. (laughs) Um, And, you know, a part of uh, the the therapist I had at the time who um, is, I I tell her all the time how great of a writing uh, a coach or teacher she would be because like, she's just all about using words specifically, like finding the right word to describe something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and a lot of the words that she used um, really, really helped me a lot in in processing things that I had gone through without the diagnosis. And mm-hmm. my favorite word is reductive, and Ooh. it's it's a word that I never really paid attention to until she used it quite a bit to describe how she felt like I was expressing my own feelings. Like mm-hmm. it's inspiring to me to have words be so meaningful in that context because i i have considered myself a writer since i first heard you tell people that if you write you're a writer <laughs> and i've been yes. writing like i asked for special permission in boot camp from people that could make me do physical activity if they didn't like what i was saying i asked for special permission to write 
journal entries after lights out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was brave enough to do that when I was 18 years old. And, <laughs> and that's like, that's a ridiculous drive to write. Um, but part of also not being diagnosed is that I had no idea why I could never finish anything ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's painful. Like you can hear it in my voice right now, like to, to sit down and to want to be a writer or uh, a creative of any type, like to program video games and to start a project and to just have it fall off. Uh, it, it made me feel like I was stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. It made me feel like uh, I didn't belong in that cast of folks that yeah. are, are, are above me that like are writers. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and I think the diagnosis what it did was immediately take that that emotion and like draw it out of me and put it in front of my face so that I could see the difference between like the logic behind what I was doing and and the emotion that accompanied it. Um, oh my God, I'm so incredibly excited um, <laughs> that you had that experience and that you were able to kind of isolate that. Just having, I have a number of people uh, very close to me uh, in my life who have have been diagnosed um, with ADD or ADHD. And uh, almost universally, that's the story that I hear from them is that like they they have this desire to do something. But then it just becomes like a brick wall in front of them. It becomes impossible for them to do. And they internalize that as something wrong with them. All these other people can do this thing. Why can't I do this thing? There's clearly something wrong with me. Um, and I'm interested in this uh, this idea of of the reductive, the way that you were saying that your therapist used that word. Um, and can you explain that to me a little bit more? I mean, is she talking about... Um, about like how the, um, the diagnosis itself is reductive or like, what is, what is she using that in what context? I think it was the way that the, the way it impacted me the most was when she used it in reference to like how I felt other people were viewing me. Um, Uh. and, uh, I think the, like, like it was, it was like a flattening of me that, that felt it felt like rejection. And it, interestingly, <laughs> like I, when, when she recommended that I got screened initially, like there was this overwhelming sense of, uh, like gratification or like, like I knew that there was something different about the way I was operating and it made me feel like I didn't belong even just mm-hmm at the bar <laughs> um right. or at a sporting event or at a kids play or at the grocery store um and definitely at the writing desk like we use desks right that's a ridiculous concept <laughs> but like metaphorically the writing desk. you understand yes. you're a writer mm-hmm. you understand metaphor yes. but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um but like i guess when when i got out of that screening I immediately went to like read about ADHD because I didn't have the results yet, but I was like, well, it's close. She used to, she used to talk about the Olympic rings of, uh, symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, behaviors, really anxieties. Like the, the, there's all these rings of different, um, classifications of disorders and they're, mm-hmm. they look like a set of Olympic rings. So, um, you know, they're, you you hear people all the time talk about OCD like I'm very OCD about this or that and mm-hmm. and it's not they're not saying they have OCD they're saying they can very much relate to what they've heard described as OCD and mm-hmm. I never had that with ADHD because like when when it was uh when it was just ADD it was Bart Simpson that's that's all it yeah. was it was just mm-hmm. hyperactive uh inability to like behave really is what Mm -hmm. it was. And I never would have been that person because I was so afraid all the time of people like seeing me as different and rejecting me and Mm -hmm. whether or not they were rejecting me, I was feeling their rejection of me because Mm -hmm. in my mind they had. And, um, and so like that first article talked about this concept of rejection, sensitivity, uh, dysphoria or disorder. And it, 
I don't, there's still a lot of research being done on it, but like it was immediately relatable of like, oh, so I, I work at a dentist office now and, and I'm at the front desk and I see the dentist come out from a surgical extraction and he calls the dental assistant into his office afterwards and they close the door and my brain is immediately like, what did I do wrong? Why are they like, did I schedule that incorrectly? Did I schedule the next person incorrectly? Or, like, what are they criticizing about me? Instead of being mm -hmm. like, oh, they're probably talking about ripping people's teeth out and how it went. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like, uh, just the ability to like, not necessarily not go through those emotions, but to see those emotions for what they are and to not listen mm -hmm. to that little voice in my head that has constantly been telling me my whole life that like, I don't belong. And this is about me and like taking it personally, feeling hurt, feeling rejected, feeling like a failure, um, like being able to like sift that out and set it aside before any like medications involved <laughs> has been mm -hmm. life-changing and, um, life extending, I feel like. <laughs> um, that is so great. And I, you know, the thing about, um, ADHD is that for people who don't have it, haven't personally had the experience, it is like this Bart Simpson. It's like just this, we think of it as hyperactive little boys, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the actual, um, things involved in having the disorder are so much more complicated and nuanced and emotional and all of that. Like there's so much involved in it. Um, that again, like people who say, oh, I'm so OCD are really, you know, minimalizing what that experience is for people who actually have it. And I think the same thing happens when they're like, oh, I'm really ADD today, you know, because it's just, it's when the actual, when you're experiencing the actual disorder, there's so much more involved in it that people don't think about the emotional impact, um, the rejection sensitivity, you know, the, the sense of, of failure because, you know, uh, and, and the comparison, right. Other people can do this. Why can't right. I do this? You know, um, so there's so much involved in it. And what I'm really interested in, um, like, let's let's step back a little bit and talk a bit about your uh, history as a writer and your experience. And then we'll kind of like put these hands together and talk about writing with ADHD and what you've learned to do to kind of make that work for you. So tell me, when did you first come to writing? What kind of writing do you like to do? I don't know. I know that I like the tangible feel of like a spiral notebook has always been like amazing. Like I have, I'm looking up right now because up, <laughs> up there in the shelves somewhere, there are some that are saved that are empty and I don't want to <sighs> get rid of them because I'm like, yes, I love it. So like even like the perforation of like taking one out or like the feel of it popping off mm -hmm. the rings. Um, like I, I have that, uh, like a longing for that feeling, um, so I would imagine there was some elementary school stuff going on. Uh, what mm -hmm. I do know is that by the time high school hit, I was, uh, very much into, uh, finding something to write about. I, I wanted to be a music critic for a little while. Um, mm -hmm. I was, uh, I was writing some fan fiction for video games. Wing commander comes to mind. Oh. I love um, it. Yeah. And, fan fiction and, is an awesome way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of that stuff is saved because the other thing that came along with that was that like I'd read it later and be incredibly embarrassed that it was on paper. <laughs> so I'd have to like burn it. <laughs> but um that's fine. Um mm -hmm. but yeah, like uh moving into boot camp, there was journaling for sure. Um I I love I love the look of a day planner. I hate how it mm -hmm. makes me feel like a failure. So like <laughs> the any kind of like bound journal i i love mm -hmm. the, the sense of that and i i had often tried to start that but then i didn't like my handwriting mm -hmm. um computers really changed everything because it was it was email i got my first email in uh cook school for the coast guard and uh i remember that that was all of a sudden you know i was actually writing home <laughs> um mm -hmm. and and keeping up correspondence with people and, um, and I, I didn't really start writing long form anything until someone tricked me into starting NaNoWriMo <laughs> and <laughs> I did a memoir of my Coast Guard career to that point. And, um, mm -hmm. and it was very much inspired by, uh, some snippets my grandpa had written about his Navy time 
and um, he was on submarines, which I have always found fascinating. Um, and I wanted something like that for my kids to read when they wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. So I wrote 70,000 words of that. Oh, because, that's amazing. Because the hyper-focus, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes in handy sometimes. Yeah, and, um, and then I moved into some college writing courses. Like I wanted to finish a degree. So I took one writing course and I loved the professor. I loved her approach to like modern teaching of writing, um, mm -hmm. interactive, um, things that, that kept me interested in being in front of the screen longer than, mm -hmm. uh, any kind of like research paper would. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that I think really drove me to stay in it. Um, I obsessively took writing classes to the point where I'm in a senior year of college and I still have like two years worth of courses left <laughs> that aren't writing it <laughs> centric and, um, mm -hmm. but I'm close. And, um, and so, yeah, like I think at some point I internalized that I needed to try to write every day and mm -hmm. I, uh, I, had all these big projects that I wanted to do just like I did my memoir and they just fell flat all the time. They still mm -hmm. fall flat. Um, and it wasn't until the same reductive, I'm not describing her as reductive, the reductive therapist. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm right, labeling right. her. Um, but <laughs> the, she, she mentioned, um, at one point I had, I had told her that I had started writing some poetry because my, uh, middle child is at Oregon state in a creative mm -hmm. writing program. And, uh, and she had a poetry class and started sharing it with me and it was really inspiring. And through talking with my therapist, I realized that I kind of think poetically all the time. Um, yeah. I, it's why I, like, jokes resonate with me so well I think it's just very short mm -hmm. form it's 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 punctual it's uh subversive it's uh it's and it doesn't have to hold to any particular form and mm -hmm. and so I started writing poetry and 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 she just mentioned she was like you seem to really be enjoying this it would be a shame if you continued to beat yourself up about not being able to complete a long project and instead yeah like why don't you think about enjoying the fact that you're writing something and finishing it every day <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice and, i like this therapist yeah and uh and so i i started using those little notebooks that i had um to just put down thoughts in it and I found it a, a quick and easy way to process emotions, especially if I think about like uh, my very spiritual upbringing and how that affected my undiagnosed ADHD brain uh, and and my my feeling of like instant rejection uh, based on behaviors that don't quite fit a mold. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it's, it's been nice. And what it's done is opened me up to a world of like, uh, even shorter fiction. Um, so I picked up, uh, Grant Faulkner's, um, yes. the, mm -hmm. what is it? The art of brevity. Uh, yes. And Grant Faulkner is the, uh, now the, the head of uh, NaNoWriMo yes. because he took over for Chris Beatty when Chris Beatty left. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I really, uh, enjoyed the little writing prompts um, mm -hmm. that came at the end of each chapter, uh, and and he likes the 100 word story, and I like the yeah. idea of writing something that's essentially a page or maybe a page and a quarter, and then mm -hmm. refining it down to a page. And then I also picked up a writing tablet. It's a Kindle too. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, is it the Kindle Scribe, the one that you can yes, write on? Yes. Nice. And um, it's it it was very crude when it came out in the fall. I picked it up this spring and it mm -hmm. really accelerated the amount that mm -hmm. I've been writing. Uh, it is now almost every single day that I write something. Um, it is uh, 
I've written fictional stories that are complete that I've shared with people and it's mm -hmm. been wonderful. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's where my journey is at right now. And I'm not opposed to like revisiting longer form. Uh, I just like, I'm, I'm excited about the idea that I can approach longer form projects without the feeling that I need to finish them to be deserving of the writer title. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And I mean, the thing is too, that a lot of people think that the writing is uh, that what makes you a writer is the typey, typey, typey part of it. Like if you're sitting down and you're actually outfitting and, you know, I've always felt that like, if you write, you are a writer, but it's also like, if you think about writing, if you are constantly trying to find a way to be able to do some writing, like whether or not you're actually able to get down words every single day, um, I think doesn't define you as a writer. I think it's just that you are either called to be a writer. And if you are, you know, because you feel it, you feel that pull, you feel that draw and everything you just told me in that biography is all about that pull toward the writing. And what I love about your story is that, you know, here you have ADHD, which can make it difficult to kind of get something done, right? To follow something all the way through. Um, and so now you found a way to make writing work for you and in a way that that is good for you in these like little super short stories, which I absolutely love. Um, so so what are the strategies that you use to be able to I mean, is it like some you've got the tool there with the Kindle scribe, you know, you sit down and you do it every day. So there's kind of like that habit. Um, what are the strategies that you use to be able to write um, and not have your ADHD give you so much friction and get in your way so much? The I think the the mental approach for one, like, um, I actually, I wrote down a list of things I wanted to talk to you and I don't know, Yay! it's a visual Look medium. That. So you can see Lonnie that <laughs> yes. there's a frog there. I love it. <laughs> because like, uh, I, I, I listen to you and I yes. have been for years and two things mm -hmm. that, that I treasure about the things you share. One is the idea like the foggy brain that you're experiencing right now in your life because you're writing constantly yes. even I'm drafting a novel in, right now in your head um mm -hmm. like that idea that like it it makes so much sense that you know sophomore year my final project for English class got done the very last day and yes. got spit out so quickly and was like an A and it wasn't mm -hmm. because I'm really good at writing in a hurry last second. It's because I was writing and stressing about that one project for so long that when I yeah. finally sat down to do it, it just came out and it was, mm -hmm. it was what I was aiming for because I had been writing it awesome. the whole time. And like that, yes, that I understood before my ADHD is that I am mm -hmm. writing all the time. And absolutely. And so then it's just a, a matter of like finding a form that, that gets it out for other to share. And, um, mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the, and that's the other thing is the kissing of the frogs, finding what works. And yes, ADHD undiagnosed is nothing at all. If it's not finding what works for survival, like there's yes. a reason that when I set my alarm and for the morning, wake up, it's not five 30, it's five 28. It's because I know mm -hmm. that it's going to trick my brain just a little bit to be like, who sets an alarm at five 28. And then I'm awake. <laughs> like, it's the silliest <laughs> thing, but it works. Mm -hmm. um, yes. The, the getting a, a, a list of patients that I have to call at work. And instead of starting at the A's, starting at the Z's and working up. Um, oh, neat. Like just anything to like trick my brain into thinking it's slightly more interesting than it was before. <laughs> um, I'm going to take that approach. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, What I like about the writing tablet I have is that it is actually like at its very basic level of software right now um, mm -hmm. that they have had some updates, but it's not, it's not translating my scrawl as I type, mm -hmm. as I type, I'm not even typing, I'm writing. Uh, yes. So it's my handwriting. Mm -hmm. I can go back and visit that and make it prettier very quickly on the same page. Mm -hmm. I can just erase and write above it. Um, and, 
and so like I'm working through things drafting quicker than I would be on any device that mm -hmm. tries to correct what I'm typing. Like my phone is awful about it. Um, yeah. Any, any kind of like group writing experience. Like I mentioned, my daughter is in a creative writing program. Now that has, I think, well, I know from talking to her that it's done uh, a lot for both of us to be able to share mm -hmm. writing with each other because like, I know that that is a quick and easy way to reach out to my daughter and let yeah, her know I'm thinking oh, about her. So nice. And well, body doubling is kind of a thing. Like, um, my husband, uh, was the one who, um, introduced me to this concept. And it was actually when we first had become friends, he asked me to be a writing coach and it was in the middle of COVID and he was in Colorado and I was in New York and we would just hang out. I was working my day job and he would, you know, do the thing. And we would do these like, um, uh, the Pomodoro technique where you do 25 minutes on 25 minutes off, but you have somebody there. Like we're not talking to each other. He's mm -hmm. working on his thing. I'm working on mine, but we're just there together. And it really gave him the ability. He would like do them in three So, you know, and he'd be like, Hey, I did three today. That's my goal. That's it. You know, and being able to have somebody there with you, being able to do that, um, like together, I, I think I've found it to be incredibly helpful. I actually teach that in my, I'm teaching, the year of writing magically workshop right now and i've got a cohort of like 22 people and we're all writing and we're in the drafting phase right now so all of us are drafting together so there is that like community sense um and there are some people who have been struggling um with getting the work done but every other saturday when we meet for class we during the drafting period are just body doubling we're just doing 25 fives 25 fives uh for a couple of hours and so many people are reporting in that that is their most productive time because somebody else is there. So I've actually opened up like we have a discord channel. And so there's a, a space in there, which I call the library. And you can go in and body double with anybody at any time that you're writing and just have somebody else there. And there is something about that, even if you're not talking to each other, even if just having someone else there, that can be really helpful, I think, for everyone. But I've noticed it, especially with people with ADHD, is that there's like a grounding element to having someone there with you that makes it easier to do whatever you got to do for sure yes i i love i love that i i do know from experience that you get the right person in that situation it is not a body double it's just a chat session <laughs> um, <Right>. <laughs> but um but yeah like i i've I also used discord the the nano um a uh, state of alaska has a discord channel and yeah. so there there's channels for like anchorage and fairbanks and elsewhere mm -hmm. because that was huge. the group I was in when I did nano yeah. when I wrote my first novel I was in the Alaskas I was living in Anchorage at that time so yeah, yeah that's um, awesome and and they you know they they have a bot set up in there for like timed sprints mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh and then you can like share your your word count um mm -hmm. for the sprint and uh and then that puts you on like a leaderboard which i'm also a fan of like i like seeing my Love name in lights that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um and and so that that's uh that's been a huge thing for me is is mm -hmm. just that sense i get it at work too like work especially right now i i love my job uh i'm i feel like it was the first place where i really like uh was able to like conquer my emotional demons <laughs> and yeah. um i look to it for for these little clu clues like i finished a 20-year coast guard career um mm -hmm. i there's there's something that i can do that keeps me like relevant and productive um and and like being able to like sit sift through those little techniques has been really key um sometimes listening to other people tell me that they find it strange that I'm able to do a particular thing makes me like sit back and say, well, why, <laughs> like, why am I so good at making Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheets <laughs> like mm -hmm. that other people love using and, and like, uh, trying to find those little things that make me tick and then moving them into my personal life. It, it's been, uh, it's been eye opening and it's been 
uh, relieving and, uh, you know, like marriage saving and yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love it. All right. So um, what I want to know is uh, now you've come to this point, you are writing every day, you're doing writing that you love and um, and you've got strategies that help you kind of do that while you have ADHD. Um, what do you see yourself going like doing from here? Like what's the next writing project? Are you going to try to do something long form? Are you going to stay in the short form arena? Like what kind of stuff do you want to do? I do still want to explore long form. Uh, And the Mm -hmm. reason is that that 70,000 words that I wrote uh, on my Coast Guard career is just sitting there drafted. Uh, And a lot Mm -hmm. of it is just filler words because I had a goal. (laughs) Um, Yeah, right. And and so what I have been thinking about doing is uh, approaching that as like a memoir that is Mm -hmm. short form sea stories, basically Um, Mm -hmm. like set a a word count of like 250 words per story or whatever, and, and not worry so much about explaining to you what the inside of the engine room of an 87 foot (laughs) patrol boat looks like, but just letting Mm -hmm. you know how seasick I got every time I went in there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And, and really concentrating on, on the storytelling aspect. I, uh, Uh, and I think that like one of, one of the things that has always been like out of, out of reach for me is, is the ability to recognize that like, I'm not a, a good boat owner. I am a good boat driver. Like how, how do I go about approaching being a boat driver without like cutting my own legs out from underneath me confidence wise without Mm -hmm. burning out whoever the boat owner is on how much I need them. Um, and, and like finding situations where like, I am like, I, I have, I have the privilege right now of writing when I want to not, uh, you know, like having enough time to like have a creative outlet. Um, and I love the idea of sharing that with other folks. And if that is long form, eventually that's great. Um, Mm-hmm. like I also don't want I don't want to like tie myself down to that like I, yeah, it should I not it. come at the cost of me uh stopping what I've been doing uh which has been really enjoyable um and I I like to think enjoyable when I share it with people too <laughs> I love that and I I love so much in talking to you that your goal is the experience is being a writer is living as a writer is writing all of these things, you know, and that you're really, I don't, I'm not hearing you being tied down to like fiction or memoir or poetry or anything like you are expressing yourself in the way that is, is natural to you. And that opens up a space for you rather than closing a door. And that is, I think my favorite thing about this discussion is that so many times when I talk to writers, they are about, you know, I want to write this thing so that I can sell this book or that it can be published or that I can, you know, do this or, um, or whatever. And sometimes I think as writers, we get so wound up in outcome that we forget, um, that we are drawn to writing so that we can practice the act of writing so that we can be creative in that way. And that is what makes it such a sacred experience. You know, Um, I love that you've got a frog drawn on your notes for our discussion today, because kissing frogs is one of the things that I I do talk about quite a lot as I believe in it, Um, that there is no one right way, correct way to write, right? You have to kiss frogs. You have to try different processes. And sometimes you have to kiss the same frogs twice if you're working on different projects. A frog that works for one project may not work for another and vice versa. So you always kind of have to start over. You always kind of have to have that openness in looking for the things that work for you. And sometimes if if one particular process works for you for a while and then stops working for you, a lot of times that can feel to us like failure. But what it really is, is an opportunity to kiss another frog, find another way to do it. But the point is to make put as little friction between you and what it is that you want to do. And in this case, what we're talking about, what we want to do is right um, to put as little friction between us doing that thing, you know, as possible. Um, and I absolutely love that you've you found these ways through that. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I found them 
like I've, I found the way through, (laughs) but right underneath this frog, I drew death, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) cute as hell. (laughs) If I do say so myself and I I have three questions written right next to death and it's, will I ever Uh write big form? I think that says long form, but as I said, my handwriting Mm -hmm. sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) and then it says, will I always beat myself up and will I always lose interest? Um, and I, I, I think that like the, what they they just upgraded to have like a copy paste thing and what i really uh-huh. need to do is like take a copy of this frog and then paste like mm-hmm. 100 frogs and then just switch yeah. between them constantly because like i think like whether or not i write long form i, I don't at this moment in my life i don't really care about but mm-hmm. i don't want to i don't want to dismiss that if i feel like writing long form tomorrow morning then I want to have some projects open that I can step into and step out of and just leave for next week Mm -hmm. or next month or next year or next job change. If that ever happens again, I don't know. I'm really happy where I am. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Well, what's interesting, I love about your your death questions, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Is that that's how I actually start my workshop, um, where the first day, the first thing we do is we write down all of our fears. Like, and I start by sharing what my fears are, right? Because, you know, I'm teaching the class, I've published books, you know, I've done all this stuff. People sometimes I think think that like, um, that I have everything, you know, locked up, you know, that I know. But the thing is, like, I think the reason why um, I'm effective as a teacher is because I know where these pitfalls are and I still fall into them like all the time with all of those questions and addressing honestly, the fears that we have, um, looking them in the face is a really good way to kind of like set them aside, you know? And, um, and one of the things that, you know, I was talking about, like, there are fears that are like, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to follow this through? Is this going to work? You know? And then there are fears like, am I going to be able to sell this book? Am I going to be able to get an agent with it? Am I going to be able to, you know, find a publisher or all that kind of stuff? Um, and is it going to be good enough? You know, and those are all like outcome oriented thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And outcome oriented thinking, those are the fears that you kind of need to acknowledge and be like, Hey, I know that you're here. And I appreciate that you're trying to keep me safe. But I don't need you. You're not helping me. Outcome is not my business. My business is to sit down and do the writing every day. And when you're talking about a long form project, yeah, there are long term things to think about. And you end up working kind of in the same narrative space every day. But it is also can be easily chunked into sections. They're all scenes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a scene that does this and it's a scene that does that. And being able to break it down into like daily words, uh, that was NaNoWriMo was the only reason why I'm, I'm an author now, because I could not finish anything uh, yeah. prior to that. But having a uh, short period of time where every day my goal was to write words and not worry about whether or not they were good. Um, that was everything to me, you know? Um, so that was, uh, was kind of the thing that unlocked that space for me. And what I really like about what you're saying and, uh, you know, comparing that with my personal experience is that if there is something that you are called to do like writing or any kind of creative venture, um, there is a path to doing that. You may be blocked on some parts of it, but there are a million paths that you can take. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to find the one that is most inviting for you. And it may be a different way of looking at what it is that you want to do. But when you're called to do something like that's your thing, like you're supposed to do it. And even if you don't do it forever, even if you only do it for a little while, if you're called to it, do it, you know? Um, and I absolutely, I love that you've, you know, kind of found this, this way in this path too, because if you've been listening to me for a long time, you know, like that's basically what I do is I talk about stories and I talk about writing and I talk about all of this stuff. Right. Um, so you've clearly been called to this and drawn to it. And I think that that is the thing that makes you a writer. Even if you never actually put words down on a page, if you're, if you're putting them together in your head, then that you're a writer, that's how, that's something that is your experience. It is part of who you are. Um, and getting them down on paper is, is what you kind of like want to do to record them but you're still writing in your head. You're still a writer. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I love that you've, you know, kind of worked this path out and found a way that works for you. That yeah. reminds me of, of kind of where I 
restarted my consistent writing with poetry is like mm -hmm. the the idea that a poem doesn't have to be a particular form it could be yeah like there's so many poems out there of so many different styles and and mm -hmm. i i think i realized somewhere along the lines that like i like i dislike a lot of poems <laughs> and <laughs> and they're they're a particular brand of poem that i thought was all poetry and and the mm -hmm. moment that uh, I, I realized that it's not all poetry was the moment mm -hmm. that I became a fan of the form. And, yeah. um, and I like the idea of, of a collection of micro fiction that, that is a long continuous story where mm -hmm. the, the, the story structure is in there, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's just broken down to its base components. It's beats, it's scenes. Thank you so much again to Brandon Says. You can find him at Brandon Says. That's S-A-I-Z at Substack.com. And thank you, listener, for listening to the podcast. If you've got writing questions for me or a discussion you'd like to have with me, reach out to me at Lonnie at Chippersh.com. I would love to chat with you. And that's it for this episode of How Story Works. Thanks for hanging out. Now go write.